Chapter Seven of Miss Philura's Wedding Gown by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Below stairs, Malvina Bennett was saying goodbye to her neighbour. They had been talking for a matter of twenty minutes in the hall. Now Miss Philura had advanced as far as the front door. She laid her hand upon the knob. I must be going, she said. I know you're very busy, Malvina. Oh, yes, I be, responded the dressmaker. Terrible busy, what with getting Miss Buckthorn's waist done. She wants to wear it to your wedding. And that reminds me, you ain't told me yet what you're going to be married in. I'm going to be married in a white dress, Malvina, Miss Philura said, and a soft radiance overspread her face as she remembered the chrysanthemums in the snow. After a pause, she added timidly, Mr. Pettibone likes white. He thinks white would be most becoming and suitable. Almost breathlessly, she waited for the dressmaker's verdict. It came without delay. Oh, I don't know as I should have thought of it first off, mused Miss Bennett. So many folks think of getting wear out of their wedding dresses afterward. But seems me, seeing most folks don't get married more than three times at the outside, as though they could afford a special dress. I know I should. Now I declare I'd be married in white if I was a hundred. Anyway, if it was the first time. Of course, it don't matter about his being a widower. Miss Philura turned the knob and opened the door. Um, did you get it ready made? inquired Miss Bennett in an aggrieved voice. I kind of thought maybe you'd let me make it for you. Seems we've been neighbours so many years. And you were going to marry the minister. It had been on the tip of her tongue to say that she had made the first Mrs. Pettibone's shroud, but she thoughtfully forbore. Miss Philura shook her head. No, she said, I haven't bought the dress. Have you got the goods? Not yet. I have the silk thread, though, and the buttonhole twist. It's cream white. Oh, that's good. I don't like dead white, nor oyster white, neither. It looks kind of cold and dead to me. Will you let me make it, Philura? I'd admire to do it, and I won't take a cent for it. Miss Philura's eyes shone with gratitude, and a deep happiness filled her breast. The wedding dress was still in the encircling good, but she had the silk thread, and Malvina would make it. Oh, you needn't bother about findings either, pursued Miss Bennet eagerly. I've got some real handsome pasmentry with pearl beads I saved off Ma's wedding dress. It's the latest style now, and I know just the prettiest way to make the skirt. Oh, how good you are, Malvina, murmured Miss Philura, joyously adding the white pasmentry to the visible portion of the invisible wedding garment. Well, I guess I ain't forgot how good you was to me last winter when I was all crippled up with rheumatism. I'll come in the evening and help you cut out the brocade you've got. And say, wouldn't you like to have Genevieve for a day or two to help make it up? The change would do her good. Oh, well, um, I'd like it very much. Only, she wouldn't expect no pay from you. She's working for me by the month. And I'd like to get rid of her for a few days. It's awful worrying to have anybody about that's been crossed in love. You can feel it all through your bones like an east wind. Miss Philura thoughtfully closed the front door through which a keen wind had begun to draw. 
I must be going, she said gently. Well, good-bye, Philura. I'll send Genevieve over early tomorrow. Miss Philura was thinking about the girl as she went down the path to the front gate. She hoped she would talk to her about her unhappy love affair. In the all-encircling good was happiness, she was sure, and balm for bruised spirits. There is an abundance of everything, she reminded herself. A lavish abundance of everything for everybody. She drew a deep breath of ecstasy. The blood danced through her veins, bringing back her youth, which, after all, had never been lost, but only softly overlaid with years, like a chrysanthemum under the snow. The butterwoman's wagon was tied in front of Miss Philura's door, and Hulda herself confronted her as she opened the gate. I didn't dare leave anything on the stoop for fear of the cat, said the butterwoman, so I clumb into the kitchen window and put the things on the table. Mind you eat them all. Tain't any too much if you expect to get any fat onto your bones by Thanksgiving. She gazed critically at Miss Philura, her head on one side. Seem to me you're a mite fleshier than you was last time I was here. Anyway, you ain't near so peaked looking, and you've got a shine in your eyes. It's because I'm so happy, said Miss Philura truthfully. Everybody is so good, so kind. The encircling good seemed very near. It shone in the bright, dark eyes of the butterwoman. She had seen it in Malvina Bennett's worn face when she had offered to make the wedding dress. <laughs> Did you mind what I said and eat up everything I brought you? The butterwoman was inquiring. Miss Philura blushed. Well, I... I only took two or three fresh eggs to old Mrs. Davis. Her hens have stopped laying. And a bit of the only a small piece of the chicken to... The butterwoman laughed. A deep, mellow laugh. Oh, of course you did, she said. You couldn't no more help giving things away than a bird can help singing. I knew you would. You'll make a first-rate minister's wife. But I bet you'll never get real fat. Well, I'm sure I hope not, said Miss Philura fervently. The butterwoman was looking at her keenly. Taint but two weeks to Thanksgiving, she said slowly. I remember once, oh, a long time ago. Her voice trailed into silence. Then she shook herself, very much after the fashion of a big shaggy animal. Oh, oh kind of wintry, ain't it, she said loudly. I like it, though, and my hens is laying right along. I keep em warm and give em plenty to eat. She started briskly forward. Did you ever see anything like that horse of mine? Joshua, he can go to sleep on two legs, kind of kitty-cornered. You see? She climbed into her wagon. Uh, Goodbye, she called out. I'll be here next week. Miss Philura went slowly into the house, thinking of the butter woman. She knew what it was to live alone, just to live, without any particular interest to enliven the dull monotony of the passing days. Now for her, a door had opened suddenly into a wonderful garden, full of bright-hued flowers. That's the way it looked to Miss Philura. She had never thought of the parsonage as an ugly, old-fashioned house, very much in need of fresh paint and paper, nor of the minister as a middle-aged widower. 
the parsonage was his home and she was going to live there with him she was to be permitted to love him to cook for him to mend his stockings and sew the buttons on his preaching clothes this was happiness joy and it was only two weeks from thursday she wondered if the butter woman was happy from her own warm heart she sent a great wave of love after the strong broad-shouldered figure perched on the seat of the jolting wagon already up the first steep slope of the hill behind the town the butter woman was whistling through her closed teeth as she drove onward through the fairy world which was slowly coming back to its common everyday aspect under the bright noonday there was a subdued jingle of silver in the pocket of her stout woollen dress a pound of coffee gave forth its subtle fragrance from the basket under the seat she owed nothing to anyone in the world and there was a slow-growing fund in the savings bank hulda johnson saw other people's lives from their back doorsteps on tuesdays and thursdays she never asked questions nor spied curiously into the kitchens open to her decisive knock and yet her shrewd eyes saw much that the owners of the kitchen supposed to be concealed from the world she knew who would haggle with her over the price of her new-laid eggs and the rolls of fresh butter it was a pleasure which hulda never denied herself to enter into heated argument with certain women who nevertheless paid the hard silver into her hard palm when the petty strife was ended hulda demanded and got more for her farm products than the village stores asked for like commodities brought from a distance it was little she knew concerning cold storage or preservatives and she cared less her eggs were always fresh her butter fragrant and her chickens plump and neatly dressed if you don't want them at my price well you don't have to have em was her final dictum perhaps hilda had grown a trifle hard and cynical during her solitary life she had reasons there were people even in innisfield who never found fault with her prices who were always ready to take what she had but they'd pay next time or could she perhaps change a twenty-dollar bill unexpectedly hulda said yes on one such occasion when the woman blushed stammered and finally said she had really forgotten but that very morning her husband had borrowed the money until evening after fifteen years of observing life from innisfield kitchen doors hulda knew her narrow world far better than the minister and quite as well as the butcher and the grocer whose knowledge of humankind is sure to become wide and deep and so hulda often whistled through her closed teeth as her patient old horse climbed the steep hill behind the town while she thought over the experiences of the morning there was always food for thought in what she had seen and heard on the whole hulda was singularly content as she turned her back upon the clustered houses where people were getting ready to be married were bringing children into the world or were dying and continually struggling to pay what life cost them it always appeared to cost cruelly even at its beginning and end when for the most part other people were obliged to pay it was lonely but peaceful up on the crest of the hill and the weather-beaten little house seemed far removed from the toil and struggle of the valley the furry and feathered creatures which furnished her livelihood lived tranquilly 
and died when she so decreed it without protest huldah drove into her own yard welcomed by the cackle of fowls and the joyous bark of a watchful collie she put up her horse with the usual care gave the fowls some grain and then unlocked the back door and entered the warm silent kitchen the kitchen in huldah's house was large and two windows looked towards the south there was a shining cook stove braided mats on the yellow painted floor where the sun lay in golden squares and a calla lily unfolding its first white sheath amid leaves of brilliant green on the back of the stove a brown earthenware teapot simmered in the heat huldah liked her tea brewed long and strong she poured a cup of the steaming liquid and drank it clear then she cut two thick slices of bread and a slab of cheese and sat down to warm her feet in the oven i guess she said aloud between bites of the bread and cheese that it's better as it is she had said this to herself many times before and at last she had come to believe it suppose he'd come back she went on stroking the striped kitten that had jumped on her knee intent upon the crumbs of cheese just s'posin he had and i'd a married him i might have been dead long ago with a baby in my arms like that poor little thing they took me in to see this morning i might a who knows or i might a lived to stand by his grave with a row of hungry children at my back like mrs peter snell and i guess i wasn't made for it it's a heap easier as it is she stretched her broad muscular hands to the heat of the stove and surveyed them intently there ain't nothing i can't do for myself she said defiantly and i ain't lonesome not a mite no ma'am she arose presently shook the crumbs from her skirt poked the fire noisily and then tramped across the floor to the window her heavy shoes echoing loudly in the quiet house i tell you i ain't lonesome she muttered i don't want nothing different from what it is why land i don't have no trouble compared with most folks look at em then look at me i'm strong and healthy and i've got money laid up and and there ain't nobody to bother me then suddenly her strong features became convulsed and she beat the window sill with her fists oh tom tom she moaned it's an awful long time me all alone since father died she buried her face in her arms and so was silent for a while while a whining wind crept stealthily about the house and the clock ticked solemnly from its corner somewhere a great way off a cock crowed announcing the hour of noon it was echoed from huldah's barnyard twice thrice then all was still once more only the whining wind stole into the chimney and moaned there like an imprisoned thing in the long look behind which the butter-woman in the midst of her bustling activities had paused to take she saw the self that had been and the self that might have been and then stepping softly like one in the presence of the dead she moved across the floor to where a battered chest stood against the wall it had been painted a dull blue and on its top worked out in brass-headed nails 
was a device of crossed anchors and a name, Thomas Bowles. She lifted the lid and looked in. Then one by one she took out the articles within and laid them on the floor beside the chest. A seaman's blouse, a huge shell pink and white like a baby's palm, other smaller shells, alive with the iridescent mystery of the sea, many-hued corals, a string of curious dark beads exhaling the odour of spices. All of these things the butter-woman removed, and then, crouched beside the chest, she leaned her chin upon her rough red hands, and stared down at the one thing which remained therein. It was an oblong box of shining wood, inlaid with many-coloured bits of shell in a design of flowers and leaves. It had not grown old, she was thinking. It would never grow old. For an instant she saw it as she had first seen it years before, through an aching blur of tears. Then she took it on her lap, and sitting flat on the floor, opened it. A faint odour of roses crept from the box and stole through the room like a gentle ghost of the long ago. There were folds of tissue paper within. The woman touched them, her rough hands grown suddenly tremulous. Then she deliberately lifted the paper and gazed at what it hid for a long minute. End of chapter 7